Live from the White Claw Hard Seltzer Studios in Knoxville, it's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. Here are your hosts, John Reed and Bob Baskerville. Back in the booth, back on the airwaves. Coming at you live from the White Claw Hard Seltzer Studios. Good morning to you. Happy Thursday. John Reed, Bob Baskerville, Sam Beard. As we kick off the morning show here on February 15th. You've made it through Valentine's Day. You can go back to not being in love. You can go back to not doing those sweet things. Enjoy your candy. Oh, those 9 p.m. tips. They hit different when you do the 7 a.m. show. We'll recap some Tennessee basketball. 7.30 a.m. We will begin previewing the Tennessee baseball season as one of the fan favorites. Kirby Connell will come on the show before the team gets ready to head to Texas. To get the 2024 campaign underway. Good morning to you, Bob. How are you? I'm just. Uh, oh, you sound sleepy. <laughs> you sound a little sleepy. I'm a little. Uh, I'm a little sleepy. Nah, I'm, I'm all right. I'm all right. I know I can. I got time for a nap later at some point, so I'll do that. But yeah, I I watched that whole game last night. Just it was fun. It felt good to watch. Have to say, but. Oh my God, and I I think back to previous seasons too. This is is this I think this might be the first nine o'clock game we've we've had a lot of them I think before. So. <laughs> um, so we're lucky in that regard. Um, I, I don't think there's another one, so that's that's all good. But uh, no, I'm doing good. Had a good Valentine's Day, very low key. Um, just had dinner with the wife, and uh, and then came home and watched some basketball. So uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a good evening. But Top of the morning to you, Sam. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. I'm doing pretty solid. I uh, I didn't survive our first nine o'clock game, like like Bob's saying. I uh, fell asleep in the second half of that one, so I'm feeling a little bit refreshed, honestly, to, this morning. But okay, a little bit more in informed as well, not watching the second half of that game. Yeah, about seven thirty, I dozed off and took a little bit of a nap ski. So I was worried that I would be up all night, but that wasn't the case. I, it took a while to wind down after the game and actually fall asleep, but I, I made it. So I, I took a little bit of a nap and then and then enjoyed the game. And it was one of those games that was boring. You maybe could have turned off, but you didn't. You wanted to watch, and then I'm looking at the TV. I'm like, come on, Rick. Let's get some young guys in here. And next thing I know, your starting center and maybe second most important player is – getting basically clotheslined near the basket with about two minutes left. No foul call. I'm like, all right, Rick, let's get him out. Then you got maybe your best perimeter defender driving to the rim, getting knocked out of the air with 30 seconds left. I'm like, all right, Rick, what the hell are we doing here? It's a 30-point game. There's no difference in, 
and 32 point wins or 25 point wins. Let's let's get the young guys in. So I was glad I was watching just in case because it would have been really weird had I turned the TV off with about you know six minutes left when the game was in hand and then came the next morning with your starting center and your best defender on the shelf with an injury. But luckily, it looks like Buffalo's guys survived their falls and nothing had happened there. Tennessee did not hold on to the 30-point victory, but they did gut the Hogs. Biggest, uh, second biggest, second biggest road win. How did Alex Schwartz, the SID, put it? Second biggest road win in this century, which means the 2000s. So, in terms of margin of victory. So, that's pretty impressive. Man, Arkansas is bad. Biggest. Boys, it's that was I, I was watching even when it was kind of close. I was like, my God, if we don't win this, we're, we've got a problem. Yeah, I mean, they, they came out and for all the talk about them quitting and, and looking like they were disinterested and, and Nate Oates on the way out. You didn't get that feeling necessarily in the first half as they somehow just kind of kept hanging around. But then the second half, yeah, especially like after the first three minutes of the second half for Tennessee. You know, quickly took it from 6 to 11. You saw the, the quit in those boys. You saw the give up as they kind of packed it up and melted in, got absolutely dominated in the second half. They let go of the rope, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll break down statistically a little more in the second segment, but the the biggest headline for me was just, you know, they hit some, you know, they hit four out of their first five attempts from three-point range, and I was like, man, here we go again. It's just like, feels like A&M all over again but uh but there was something different about this team they just looked uh, on a text thread with uh, some of the fan run guys I was saying they looked like an okay rec league team I mean not I mean my god man I mean I know you know you're hearing Jimmy Dykes saying well they, they love to promote chaos and it's like no man they're just not very good they're they're that's just like throwing the ball away and you know somebody shot a three from did you see that it was you were still awake sam so it was in the first half it was like foot on that they had the arkansas state logo at midcourt it was his foot was on the arkansas state logo <laughs> yeah. i mean that's like that's like six seven feet beyond an nba three i mean it was crazy man they did bring some chaos off the court you know we've heard about that all off season <laughs> sure. But on the court, I mean, yeah, I mean, it was just kind of – I kept – when I was watching the game, I kept thinking about how Will Warren described them in terms of they're nothing but shooting guards and centers. And I was like, yeah, that kind of checks out. Not yeah. not a lot of talent there in terms of setting the table for their teammates or, you know, none of their big guys are really versatile and able to dribble or do anything. It's just shooting guards trying to get to the rim and jack up threes for themselves. And, yeah, some, some big men that aren't very aren't very skilled. I was remembering what Will was saying, too, yesterday that, uh, by the way, Will got a lot of love from uh, Jimmy Dykes. Did you hear that? Mm -hmm. I loved him first, Jimmy. Just know. You may, call him, you may call him your man. He's my man, all right? Um, Back off. <laughs> saying that on Valentine's Day. I right? know. But, yeah. The audacity. Um, Who would have known the real love triangle would be me, Jimmy, and Will? <laughs> uh, but... Will mentioned something yesterday. It was a great observation about how Musselman has leveraged the transfer portal scenario, whatever you want to call it, in the past few years, and it's really made a difference. This is an example of when it goes sideways because it's it's there is like zero chemistry, 
not that much talent, obviously. It was uh, it was they're a tough team to watch, man. I, I felt a lot better the way Tennessee turned it on in the second half. It felt like that needed to happen even sooner, but they they took care of it. And I was worried there was a bit of a foreboding thing when they over halftime they reinstated that uh, offensive goaltending basket, yeah. and I was like, oh man, that's not a great sign, you know? They made the deficit from eight to six coming into the second half. And how's that happen? I guess they, I guess they can do it. I just haven't seen many times where it's like, it's like 15 minutes later they corrected that. You know, I had no issue with it because it was the right call. Yeah. You know, as, as long as they're consistent with that. I mean, you'll see it sometimes in the NBA where they'll go back minutes later, sometimes even like in the fourth quarter, and be like, yeah, actually that guy's hill was on the line. We're taking a point away. Or, you know, last year with the, the Heat in a playoff game, I believe, they came and took Max Struess three points off where they said his hill was on the line and he was out of bounds. And they came back and said, hey, the replay showed that that was out of bounds, taking that po- point, those points off. So if it would have beaten you, it would have been bad. You know, if it would have been a close game and you're thinking back to those two points, you'd have been upset. Of course, it wasn't a close game. No. I was also thinking about what the first half spread would have been because it had been around six. I would imagine it was like five, five and a half. I mean, around closing time, the spread had gotten down to, I think, eight and a half. So I would imagine the first half spread was five, five and a half. So maybe it wasn't the difference, but what would have happened if they just went ahead and paid you out and they came back and switched it? Would they have taken your money? Would you have hurried and immediately hit, like, withdrawal? If they had graded as a loss and you came back, as actually, we won. I had Arkansas plus six and a half. They took two points away. That's where my mind went because I didn't think it was going to be consequential to the final score and and Tennessee answered that 2-0 run during the uh, halftime timeout by coming out and just yeah immediately scoring five points getting it back to double digits and then the moment that you know Dalton Connect kind of got tackled out of the air a player kind of shoved him in the back on a on a a fast break that was the moment that they kind of quit that was the moment it got ugly and Tennessee scored I believe they said on five straight possessions yeah and you know Pulled away. Arkansas no longer was hitting shots. Tennessee was playing good defense. Dalton Connect was getting a couple weak side blocks. Little sneaky blocks. Fast breaks were happening. And Tennessee, yeah, just kind of was having a, a meet me at the rim fest. All their guys just were able to go in there and get some dunks and layups. Tennessee, at one point, I believe they said 46 points in the paint. I don't know what they ended up with. But he was like, hey, Tennessee's dominating 44 points. And as he was saying it, Jonas Adu got a big jam to say, oh, now make it 46. I don't know how many they ended up with, but. It was 46. Okay. They outscored them 46 to 18 in the paint. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it was a it was a time that Tennessee was just like, hey, if a team has quit, let's not worry about jacking up threes. Let's go to the rim. They're not going to want to play defense. They're not going to want to be physical down there, and they're going to foul you. You'll shoot free throws. Let's go get some points. Oh, they may be physical. They did like to bump down there. They did like to bump. <laughs> we'll talk about the game even more after the break. And like I said, at 7.30, we'll check in. Tennessee baseball, get you ready for the season there. Kirby Connell at 7.30. It's the morning show here on Fan Run Radio. Everybody. Back in the White Claw Hard Seltzer Studios. Hope you 
enjoyed some White Claw on your Valentine's Day. Hope you enjoyed a nice night with your lover or with your friends or alone. However you chose to do so. Tennessee, 92. Arkansas, 63. It was ugly in the second half. When you look at like individual performances, of course, Jonas Adu stands out. He was back. I think that was a good sign considering Arkansas just didn't really seem to want to play any post defense. So it was nice that Jonas was back to kind of punishing those teams. 23 points, 11 of 14, 12 rebounds. Dalton Connect got to 22 points. Jordan Ganey off the bench was awesome. He had a stretch there where he kind of blew the game open and I think took it from like a 11 to 17. Anybody stand out to you, good or bad, Bob? I think Ganey was the story for me. I mean, obviously, Jonas has had games like this before. It looked like he was playing on a smaller goal or something last night. That's exactly what I thought. The lack of defense from Arkansas inside was crazy. But, uh, you know, because I was looking at his line, and 23 and 12 is a great line. 11 from 14 from the field is great. But, you know, dunks will do that for you, right? I mean, he had he had many. Um but Ganey was the story because I think back to just where we were a few weeks ago and we were all kind of talking about, man, has he, has he lost it? Everybody's kind of figured him out. They've gotten in his head. He's really not an asset at this point. And um, we were at that point thinking, God, if we can just get a bucket or two from him a game, that, that's a difference maker. Well, now he's providing many buckets. And, you know, six of eight from the field last night, that's that's great. I mean, and I, I like the bounce back because in the A&M game, he shot five or six times but hit one, I think. so. One of five. Yeah. So Zero I mean, for four from three. Yeah. was the stat line against A&M. So good bounce back for the team, obviously, but a really good bounce back for him too, uh, which I like to see. And a bounce back for Jonas. It's, it's one of those get right moments for both of those guys. Dalton, I think, played well. You touched on it. It feels like his defense – is coming along um you you mentioned the weak side blocks he had uh i don't know how many they have three blocks yeah three blocks and two steals um so i i think that and 22 points we, we were we were reveling in him getting you know in the 30s and all that it's like we're not going to get those regularly but i think uh I, I think that was 10 out of 11 games with 20 points or more for him at this point 10 out of the last 11 so um so, yeah, I, I to me, though, I really was, I guess, most happy with Ganey because he was hitting, like, he was hitting some hard shots, too. That was the other thing. I I mean, it, he played with a, a fair amount of aggression, taking it to the hole. So, I like that. Yeah, if you look at Ganey's last seven games, I feel like he's back to kind of being a solid contributor. Of the seven games starting, you know, basically a month ago, January 20th against Alabama, he has gotten into double figures four times out of those seven. And another time against Kentucky, I, I didn't think he made a scoring impact, but I thought he was pretty good in that game. You know, we talked about his defense, his offensive rebounding, and, you know, just kind of being out there and being a contributor, even when not scoring. Because sometimes it seems like he is not contributing unless he's scoring. But against Kentucky, I thought he made an impact. So, yeah, of those seven games, I thought really he only had two clunkers. He was – 
kind of stinky against the the law against South Carolina in the loss, and I thought he was pretty stinky against A and M in that loss. So correlation, causation, all those things. Ganey plays well. Tennessee pretty tough to beat. Ganey struggles and doesn't play well. Tennessee zero and two in your last seven games. I thought Josiah had a nice kind of efficient game. Uh, nothing spectacular, but hit some hit some big buckets and wasn't an certainly not a liability. Uh, which we're seeing more of that from him too, and I'm I'm happy to see that. Now you saw the mid range jumper. You shot with confidence. You saw him kind of do his post move where he gets down there, back somebody down, and hits that little twelve foot turnaround in the middle of the paint. He, he's good at that shot. No, I thought Josiah that was. Like an A minus Josiah game. Mm-hmm. If you can get that, you'll be very happy. You know, now the A plus games, of course, we've seen that against Kentucky. We've seen that against North Carolina State, where he gets into the twenty point scoring range. That's a ceiling. But like, if he can hang out at that twelve points, four of seven from the field, that's you know near perfect. That that's an A minus, or just maybe even a solid A. Like you'll, you'll take that. You'll sign up for that. 16 points. He hit the number between him and Vescovy. Although he's doing the heavy lifting because that's something I can't help but notice. Just every game is just watching Santee and the passiveness and the the lack of confidence. For as much confidence as Ganey seems to have gained, it seems like Vescovy has lost that. And it makes me sad as we, you know, we, we get here in his year five and he just kind of keeps stuck, keeps stuck in this slump. Yeah, I was thinking about that last night. He's always had those moments. He always has that great little uh, kind of stutter step fake, you know, where he gets the ball and then, you know, kind of fakes off a pass, steps over, gets a three. It's like he's not he's not looking for that anymore. You know, he's got to be wide open. And uh, otherwise he's passing off. And I don't know. It's a little it's a little bit of a bummer to see it. Yeah, now it's a pump fake sidestep. I'm going to pass the ball type of thing versus yeah. I'm going to lock and load. Sam, what stood out to you? I mean, I'm right there with Bob. I think it's Ganey, and I think it's the production that he's been giving you. And to me, I think you might start to wonder a little bit about kind of maybe kind of even in those minutes out between Ganey and, and Vescovy a little bit, I think, because if you're, if you're playing Vescovy and he's giving you that production in 30 minutes and Jordan Ganey can give you that output in 18, to me, I feel like if you kind of split that number in two a little bit, and I think that Ganey is – He's not, you know, I, I don't think he's the defender that Santi is at all, but I think it's you can obviously tell that he's improved and you can see his aggression on the defensive side of the ball and his willingness to kind of get his nose into some of those plays. So I'd kind of like to see some of Ganey maybe get some of those minutes and maybe maybe Santi can kind of revive himself and get some more confidence back if he's a guy coming off the bench that can hit some shots. I do think Vescovy's defense – matters yeah. out there on the perimeter. I do think he is still – I don't want to say, like, he is, needs to be benched or, or, you know, loses minutes to Ganey. To me, that seems – I don't want to say premature because we're late in the season, but I'm not ready to go there yet because I do still think he impacts. I mean, he still was out there and he grabbed six rebounds. You know, he's still in there, you know, kind of getting his, his hands dirty when it comes to the paint. But, yeah, I mean, like you've seen it over the last, you know, basically since SEC play. I mean, 35 minutes against Ole Miss, 33 minutes against Vanderbilt. But outside of that, he hasn't played more than 30 minutes. 
in any of the SEC games. He's hit the 30-minute threshold twice. Every other game he's been fewer than 30 minutes. So, like, you're, you've already kind of seen him be the fifth starter, right? Like, I feel like if you looked at all the starters, like, he'd be getting the, the fewest minutes. And maybe not on, like, a permanent base, but, like, on a night where Ganey is that hot, like, last sure. night, you know, when sure. he's playing that well and in that limited amount of time and Santi's playing that much and not giving you that much. I feel like you've got some kind of room there blowing him out to be able to kind of play around with some lineups maybe. Yeah, when Ganey's hitting, it takes the pressure off of Vescovy offensively and, like, you know, Connect has taken the pressure off of Vescovy offensively and and Jonas last night helped score some points. So, like, the the scoring burden wasn't there, but, you know, it's a third straight game with, with five points or fewer. The scoring burden was there against Texas A&M, and he was one of six for, for five points. In a game where Tennessee scored 103 points against Kentucky, Vescovy was solid. You know, he had 11 points. He was flying around. He was making some good plays. You thought maybe you know, he was blowing kisses to the crowd. You thought, okay, maybe maybe that's going to lead to him kind of breaking out. And then he followed it up with two points against LSU. Not a game where you necessarily needed him, but that was one where he also went like, you know, 20-something minutes without shooting, it felt like. Or at least like 15 minutes. He only played 21 minutes in the game. But, like, it was like middle of the second half, I feel like, before he even got his first shot attempt up. And that's disheartening. That's disheartening. But outside of that, I mean, I feel like everyone else kind of had passing grades. Zakai was meh in the first half. Came out early in the second half and helped set the tone with an early three-pointer. Had a couple of nice passes. You know, he's – I don't want to say he's mastered it, but, like, I do think of him as Chris Paul or think of him as Steve Nash whenever he does that little baseline dribble and keeps his dribble alive and kind of circles around and you see him find Jonas – Often right there in front of the rim. Kind of like Steve Nash to find Amari Stoudemire right there in front of the rim. Or, or Chris Paul would throw lobs to Tyson Chandler or DeAndre Jordan from that spot. Like, it, it's a good trick for an undersized point guard. Keep that dribble alive and kind of break the defense. And you talk about paint touches. Getting there, getting inside the paint. It doesn't always have to be entry passes. It could be your guards penetrating and getting the defense to move. I thought Zakai was in control of that last night. It was all good last night. I mean, the other thing, too, I haven't seen this kind of line in a while. They were uh, The Vols were 21-24 at the line. Yeah. It was nice to see. The only guy that missed free throws was Dalton. You know, he was 7-10, but still, that's not awful. Um, and Cam Carr got a shot off. Of course he did. <laughs> hey, the most important streak for Tennessee, the most important stat, has Cam Carr played on the flow chart? If the answer is yes, Tennessee has won. The undefeated streak continues for Cameron Carr. If he plays, Tennessee wins. Simple as. Now, yes, I realize that a lot of those are in games where <laughs> where the game is in hand. I understand yeah. that. But, hey. Stats are stats. Let this be a statistic <laughs> lesson. Correlation does not always equal causation. But, again, perfect correlation between Cam Carr playing and Tennessee wins. But, yeah, I mean, like. That that was also frustrating, just seeing neither one of your young guys, or if you want to throw Kate Phillips in there too, like neither one of them getting more run because the game was in hand from the ten minute mark on. Sure was. Yeah, and like it, it you know, it took basically the last TV timeout for either Freddie or Carr to get in. I'm sure we'll talk Tennessee basketball later at some point. We'll kind of touch a. Get you caught up on the SEC happenings and 
and where Tennessee is projected and an update on all those. But we'll switch gears and we will talk some Tennessee baseball. Coming up out of the break, Tennessee relief pitcher Kirby Connell coming up to talk about the kickoff or the first pitch of the season. Stick with us. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. All right, let's talk some Tennessee baseball. One day away from opening pitch as Tennessee gets set to head to Texas, the Shrines College Baseball Showdown. We're joined by Tennessee relief pitcher Kirby Connell. Kirby, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing good, doing good. Glad to be on here. Let's do a vibe check. Give me the vibe of the baseball team as they get set to finally get to play somebody else besides, you know, scrimmaging against themselves. Yeah, you know, it's going to be fun. Um, you know, we're going to go out there, we're going to play our, our brand of baseball and um, see what works out for us, what doesn't. When you talk about your brand of baseball, like, do you feel like there's been an evolution at all or any changes this offseason? Because, you know, talking with – my coworker here, you know, the Russell Smith, the drive, he he has a relationship with Tony. And he says, you know, over the years, he's seen maybe a more focused, more locked in Tony Vitello as the season gets locked in and says this year in particular, you know, the his handlers and people booking his interviews are like, hey, Tony don't have time anymore. Tony is locked in on the season and trying to chase a championship. Have you seen an evolution of Tony at all this offseason? Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, um, you know, he shows up to the field every day and uh, wants to get better in any aspect. Um, you know, as a team, you know, we're going out there every single day for practice and, uh, you know, trying to get better at the, at the little things. It's the little things that win games. Uh, the big things will show themselves. So, uh, you know, just going out there and trying to get better every single day of practice and, and uh, you know, just coming together as a team, being, being together as a team out there. And, um, you know, I think, I think this team's, done a really good job of uh bonding together you know we're, we're a bunch of guys that want to be together hey kirby thanks for joining us um i'm thinking about you're heading into this weekend heading down to texas playing some uh some solid big 12 teams starting with texas tech this pitching staff that you're a part of you know, to kind of dovetail off of john's question about uh, just the progression and evolution of this team and this pitching staff. When you look and you see, like, you know, Drew Beam, who's your, you know, he's your number one starter, and he's actually going to go day two, it sounds like. Uh, it sounds like maybe A.J. Russell's going to go on Friday night, tomorrow night. Um, your perspective on that, just watching what's you, – because you're, uh, you, you've been around, you've seen a lot of pitchers come and go through this staff. How are you feeling in general about um, the way this staff shapes up going into this season? Yeah, you know, um, we've had a lot of really good, really good scrimmages um, over the past fall, spring semester. Um, and, you know, we got a lot of guys that just want to get out there on the mound. They want to throw strikes. They want to compete for their guys behind them, and uh, they want to do it. You know, they want to do it for the team. You know, not a lot of not a lot of selfish guys out there. You know, they're out there. They know their job. They're going to go get their job done. And just being able to go out there, throw strikes, get out, and uh, let the offense do what they can do is it's it's shown a lot during our scrimmages. So um, this weekend's going to be this weekend's going to be able to tell us who you know who can and who can't do it. What's the healthy competition like 
for the for the pitching rotation as as Tennessee tries to find their third starter, their Sunday starter this season. Yeah, you know we got we got a lot of guys. Um, you know we got a lot of guys who can start. We got a lot of guys who can come out of the pen. Um, and I, um, Coach A mentioned this yesterday. You know this might be the uh, the the most pitchers that he's ever had that you know could possibly start this year for us. Um, that's just. I know 22, we had a lot of guys that could throw, um, but we had our main three starters um, and Blade and, uh, and Ben. But, you know, this year, you know, it, we could throw out three brand new, brand new starters every single weekend, and we're still going to be able to go out there, throw strikes, get outs, and do whatever we need to do. Yeah, can you talk a little bit about Coach A, Coach Anderson? Because, you know, that's a name that some fans might not be familiar with, but seems to be very vital to Tony Vitello's success in building this program. And, and the fact that Tony's been able to keep him around the program for so long has been huge, you know, for the pitching staff. Can you can you talk a little bit about Frank Anderson and his impact on the pitching? Yeah, you know, Coach A, he's, he's been doing it for a while now. Um, you know, a lot of the guys that come in, um, they're, they go straight to him, and he's going to He's gonna lead them down the right way. He's gonna tell you what you know what what you need to fix. Um, but his thing is, you know, if you're good enough to play here, then he's gonna let you go do what you're gonna do. Uh, he's not gonna make any adjustments unless he sees you know something's going off and in your mechanics or your or your mental side of the game. Um, but no, he's just he provides us information and you know lets us go do what we're supposed to do. And you know that's just be a baseball player, be a pitcher. In the inner squad scrimmages, of course, you're going up against Tennessee's offense. Which of the newcomers, and this can be freshmen or transfer players, has the pitching staff found to be the toughest out? Which of the newcomers is the toughest to get out? Um, you know, in the past, in the past few scrimmages, um, the guy is is Cannon Peebles. Um, the guy's seeing the ball very well from both sides of the plate. Um, you know, he's able to. He's able to leave the yard whenever he wants. But, you know, he's going to put the ball – he's going to put a good swing on the ball and hit it really hard. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to see what he does this weekend um, against some other um, some other arms instead of us, but making us look bad. So you're talking about Cannon Peebles. That's a guy that I've been, you know, really excited about coming in this year and, and that production that he can give you just at the plate. Um, but I'm just a little more curious – the guys that you have being able to rotate kind of at that catcher spot, just talk a little bit about the depth that you have at that spot and, and maybe the ability to be able to put Cannon kind of at the DH and, and rotate some different guys that are in and around that lineup. Yeah, you know, me being here for so long, um, I've seen a lot of catchers come through the program. And I think I think this year is probably our most talented catching group. Um, you know, they're, they're the hardest workers. They're the best defenders we got on the team. Um, so, you know, having them behind the plate, you know, it could be, it could be Cannon, it could be Cal, it could be Chuck, it could be Stone Lawless, you know, it's all four of those guys, you roll them out there, they're going to be able to manage the game, they're going to be able to, uh, you know, slow the, slow the game down, you know, because we got a lot of guys in that, on the, on the mound, on the field, that, you know, the game kind of goes too fast for them, so, you know, those, those four guys are going to be able to sit back there, control the game, slow it down for them, and, you know, I, I, there would be no problem from one to four. Hey, Kirby, so you guys are getting, as we've talked about, getting ready to go down to Texas. Talk a little bit. It seems to me from afar that this uh, this thing is kind of a 
pretty intense in and out. You're leaving, and I mean, that's part of why you're joining us so early today. I know you got a busy day ahead of you with travel and everything else. Um, can you talk about that a little bit about what 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 the game plan is as far as just getting there, getting ready for back to back to back games, all of that? Yeah, you know, we the past three years we've done this. Um, we started off out, you know, in in Houston, Arizona, and now in Dallas. Um, but I, I I enjoy these games. Um, it shows it shows the new guys, the, the younger guys, the uh, JUCO guys coming in. You know, this these three teams that we're going to play is it's regional games, it's playoff games. So you're able to see, you know you know, how everything's going, um, and everything's kind of set up like a playoff uh, scenario. You only get so much time on the field. You're not allowed to take VP before. Um, with us having the last game of every single day, you know, it kind of shows, like, okay, you got you to gotta wait your turn, and then when they say go, that's when you go. Um, so I think it's going to show, you know, who, the, who, who guys are that are able to sit there and wait for their turn and then when they're told to go, they take off. So um, it's going it's to be fun. We're talking with Kirby Connell, Tennessee baseball relief pitcher, as Tennessee gets set to get their season started tomorrow at the Shrines College Baseball Showdown. Kirby, can you talk just a little bit more about some of the pop that you've gotten this lineup this year? I think you've added some really important guys. Obviously, transfer Billy Amick at third. Uh, Kavaris Tears is kind of hoping to slot into that outfield role. And then – Obviously, Cannon Peebles, like I said, Bargo, and even Robin Villanueva, a, a JUCO guy. Can you kind of just talk about the power in that lineup and, and how dangerous that can be for opposing pitchers? Yeah, you know, um, kind of like our pitching staff. We got a lot of guys who can lay, play a lot of positions. Um, you know, and we could throw out a whole new lineup the next day, and, and that group would be able to go out and, you know, support our pitchers, drive in some runs. Um, we got a lot of guys who honestly can can leave the yard no matter where we're playing at, um, no matter what pitch, no matter what count. Um, it's just we got a lot of guys with a lot of with a lot of juice. Um, so you know, being able to have that as a pitcher kind of it's 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 breathtaking because you sit there and watch and you know just sitting there and watching them during BP. It's like they're you never know what pitch is going to leave the yard, and when it does, you got to sit there and watch it. Um, because you know a lot of these guys can they can hit the ball a long way, but you know they're gonna they're gonna produce some runs for us, which I think is it's gonna be really fun to see. Um, just being able to sit over there and and then when my time's called, you know, go out there and and try to you know manage the game for them. But you know a lot of these guys, you know, I'm, you mentioned Bargo, you mentioned Rob, you mentioned Cannon, you mentioned uh, KT, uh, Billy. Uh, Dryling, you know, we got a lot of guys that back us. You know, a lot of these guys are just, they're swinging the ball really, they're swinging the bat really, really well um, during scrimmages. And, you know, I can't wait to see what they can do this weekend and in the season. Do the players care about the Lindsey Nelson renovations? Is that something you take pride in as someone who has been here and kind of helped build that? Or is it just like, hey, we're going to go play ball. It doesn't matter what the, the stadium looks like. It's baseball. Uh, kind of both. Um, you know, it's kind of cool to see, um, you know, that I've been here since 2019. And I I remember there used to be one deck. Um, there was nothing down the left field line besides uh, just picnic tables. 
Um, and now you now you see it, and it's kind of it looks really cool. Um, you know, we got three decks, and now we got a whole left field expansion. Um, but you know, it's it's kind of just you know it doesn't matter what park we're gonna play at. We could go play you at a high school. You know, we're still gonna go out there. We're gonna play our our brand of baseball, and you know, see who's nine's best. For as long as you've been in school, you've gotten to see the evolution of NIL. You know, to go from not being able to make any money to now being able to represent some companies, get some money in your pocket. And for baseball, that's huge because, you know, you know every player doesn't have a full scholarship. So it's important to be able to kind of to fund your season and to, to represent some companies and make some brands. What has that been like being on that side and seeing the evolution of NIL? Yeah, you know, NIL, it's it's, um, it's been good. Um, and, you know, a lot of a lot of the stuff, a lot of the, the NIL that we get, you know, for guys like me, you know, you're not on you're not on a big scholarship money. Um, so a lot of it has just gone towards paying off my tuition, um, and which is not fully paid off yet, but uh, we're getting there. Um, so, you know, a lot of it's not just spending money, and it's just it's just about building relationships with uh, the companies that, um, you know, I got an NIL deal with um, just building relationships and getting to know people um, because you never know when you might need them in the future, um, wherever that is. So just for me, you know, it's, it's, it's been really good for me. Feel free to give a couple shout outs if you want to the people that are, are helping pay your scholarship and, you know, to get you another year here at Tennessee. Feel free to give some shout outs. Yeah. You know, uh, volunteer club, uh, guard the law, Better Mattress, uh, those are just a few of them. All right, I'm going to put you on the spot on a couple of these as we let you go. Do you have a prediction for most improved player from last season? Ooh. I'm going to go Kaveris Tears. Do you have an incoming freshman you think will contribute the most? Derek Schaefer. All right. You don't have to make a prediction on this one, but I do want an honest answer. In the clubhouse, what's the mentality when you look at the goals of the season? Are you doing the whole, let's take it one game at a time, let's try to get better? Or are you looking at the big prize at the end of the road saying, hey, let's do everything we can to not only get to Omaha like we did last year, but to win it all this year? What's the mentality inside the clubhouse? Uh, yeah, you know, our, our mentality is it's preached on every single day. Um, it's the next pitch. Um, worry about the next pitch. The next pitch is uh, the most important. So we're gonna we're gonna treat it as you know that's that's if we're gonna win, we're gonna win the next pitch and then the next pitch. And um, so just going out there and uh, you know throwing strikes and and swinging the bat well, um, that'll win you games. You know, I would say you're giving me the cliche answer, but I do think baseball players probably do focus. And, and have just the one-pitch mentality, so I'll let you slide on that. <laughs> Appreciate your time, Kirby. Best of luck this weekend in Texas, and best of luck in the season. Hope to talk to you again. Thank you, Kirby. Yes, sir. Thank you. Baseball season, almost here. It's a gauntlet, man. They do this trip to Texas, and then I think, what, home opener is Tuesday against yeah. Asheville. Yeah, no, I mean, next week you get, I believe, a Tuesday, Wednesday, and uh, then a whole full weekend series, so I'm pretty yeah. sure you – come back from texas and not a lot of time to reacclimate. you get one day off and then yeah it's back to playing games that count and 
that can be tough early on in the season. I do think, you know, like a lot of these, you're going to have so much more talent. But, you know, baseball in one-game sample sizes, it's it's tough to yeah to not slip up any times. You know, that's what kind of made the 2021 team so special is they didn't really slip up in those non-conference games until, like, you know, we had to go to Smokey's Park and play with a wooden bat. <laughs> I like his answer, though, because uh, it, it draws kind of a corollary to what happens in college basketball, I think, when he said that, you know, going down to Texas – They've been doing this type of trip for three seasons, and it feels it's a little more of a vibe like you know tournament play, like postseason tournament play. So, because of the rapidity, you know, going back to back to back and all that stuff, it's a good mindset, man. Looking forward to it. Sam, who all is playing in this tournament? Is it just is I guess we're you know Tennessee themselves drew draw what Texas Tech, Oklahoma, and Baylor, so yeah. kind of the. The Big 12 Texas area schools, of course, Oklahoma going to be in the SEC next year. Are those teams good this year? Yeah, yeah. Those are all – this is a pretty, you know, star-studded event. You you normally get some really high-level programs in this one. Because when I'm looking at the SEC sports.com schedule, it doesn't have, like, any rankings next to anybody, I don't think. So, like, are, the, are these teams ranked? Tech is ranked, right? Yeah. I think Tech, depending upon – there's so many different polls. Sure. But, you know, 18th or 21st, depending upon which ones you look at. So, yeah, that's right out of the gate. They're playing a ranked team. But not going to be like two years ago when you're having to go down there and, and chase Burns and basically his first starts having to go out there and pitch against, like, number two Texas. Yeah. yeah. No, it, it's not, not like, like a top five team in this okay. necessarily. I mean, I guess, you know, guess outside was, of us. I guess that was Chase Burns' actual first start. Yeah. I mean, that was, right. Yeah. But, yeah, you've got Texas Tech, Oklahoma – Baylor, uh, Nebraska, and Oregon is the other two in here. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's something baseball does. You know, mm. Tennessee was in, in Houston and, and likes to take out, check out the MLB park. It's a good way to, I guess, get some exposure. Although, like, I don't even know these, these aren't on TV, right? You have to – You can find it. Yeah, you're going to have to, like, stream and, and, it, though, and, from what I've seen. Yeah, like in the past. I, I haven't looked for this season, but last season, I think MLB Network had some of these games on. I think it was just on MLB.com, like, for free. Oh, really? You didn't even have to have MLB Network, maybe. I'm pretty sure I'm not this sure one, on that. But... I'm pretty sure on this one you have to just watch Flow Baseball, I huh. think, is the – Okay. That's right. Flow yeah. Sports. Flow yeah. Sports. Okay, yeah. Flow Sports, Flow Baseball, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's where this will be, but I'm excited to get the boys playing. I'm, I'm excited for baseball. I do think this team you, – you got two pitchers you feel really good about in A.J. Russell and Drew Beam. You have two pitchers you feel really good about. And then I do think whoever settles into the third spot is going to be really good too. Uh, you know, I think there is depth there and there are some quality options to have someone kind of break out and, and kind of take that – you know, take the ball – the bull by the horns, whatever cliche you want to throw in there. It's interesting, and I'd love your guys' take on it. Um, because, again, it, by all indicators, it looks like Drew Beam's going to pitch the second day, and he's kind of like, you know, akin to your opening day starter, right? I, I found that interesting that he's going that route. And, you know, AJ is somebody that seems to be getting a lot of really positive hype. So you have two good starters, but I was just kind of curious. I wonder it, what Tony's thinking is there. It might be blasphemous, and maybe it's not correct, but I feel like AJ's got better stuff. Like, I, and Be Beam's curveball, of course, great, and he's solid, and he's been kind of your 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 rock the last couple years. He's been steady, you know, but that was in the Sunday role. Moving him up one day to Saturday, but I think Russell's stuff's just a little bit more electric. I think it's kind of just more you you know what you've got from Beam. You've seen him for a couple years. You know what kind of player he's going to get. You know, I think you kind of throw a guy like Russell onto this big stage, first time being a starter. I think it's just kind of a 
you know, a baseline, see where the guy's at yeah. in terms of being nervous in a big game and kind of playing in a in a big setting. I think it's more of just kind of seeing what A.J. Russell is made of in a big moment more than, you know, not having the confidence in Beam to be your day one. Oh, yeah, I'm not I'm not saying it's a lack of confidence yeah. in Beam. Beam. Beam's solid. I just think Russell's a little bit more electric. Like, I, I'm excited to see him out there. And I, I don't think this is temporary. I think this is what they want to be the – I think this is what they want the rotation to be. I think they want Friday and Saturday kind of broken down there. All right, let's catch a quick timeout. It's the morning show here on Fan Run Radio. I'm excited to get back to hitting bombs this year. I think we'll be hitting a lot of them. Yeah, as a season ticket holder, they sent me an email yesterday like wanting me to make a pledge to donate money for every home run the softball and baseball team hits. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> I'm all right on that. That's a lot of money you're forking well, up. That's with. what I was thinking. Like, I mean, for some people, like, hey, it's a tax write-off. You know, if they have to cut a $1,000 check to the Tennessee fund, they're fine with that. Me, I don't really want to do that. You know, take my $400 donation for the tickets. That's good enough for me. I'm working on a charity golf event. I'm doing my I'm doing my job here in the community. I don't need to donate five dollars per home run because this team, you know, they play what I mean, sixty games basically. Is that a rough estimate? I mean, like, what's the number? I know like thirty eight home games. Yeah, I, I mean, feel like it's going to end up being around fifty six to sixty games, I guess. Yeah. But like, I think Tennessee can go back to hitting three home runs a game. Like, I think that I think if you told me that was what they averaged, that sounds right. Because it does seem like there's going to be some serious pop back in the lineup. You know, you're adding Peebles, you're adding Amick, and then, yeah, I mean, I think Drilling and Tears, or is it Drilling or Drawing? Drilling. Drilling and Tears, at least I caught myself. I think both those guys can, can match, too. So, like, I think Tennessee's going to be back to maybe not 2021 level, but I think Tennessee's going to go back to having people complain about the size of your park. You didn't hear about that much last year because Tennessee wasn't, you know, hitting the moonshots and just hitting five home runs a game. You didn't have many people cl- uh, complaining about Lindsey Nelson. But I do think this year you'll have that kind of return. I think I'm going to see my first game on Tuesday. Remember we were talking, I have not been at a Vols baseball game in the Vitello era. So um, That'll be a tough start, Bob. You yeah. got to give it if you if you don't have a great experience, it's just because it's a late February game. No, I get it. I get it. The <laughs> weather doesn't look like it's going to be too bad, yeah. and it's um like late afternoon game, so you know what I mean. You won't be out there at night freezing, freezing mm-hmm. your butt off and all you, that. So looking you have your tickets to locked in. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I'm going as a guest. Nice, someone. Nice on the porch. Nice, nice. Going to do it in style. Yeah, yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, just to get a feel for the. The whole atmosphere, because I've only seen that, particularly with the porch and all that stuff on TV. So, it's going to be good. Yeah, 58 degrees is what the project, projected high is for next Tuesday. So, that's that's not bad. It's all right for baseball weather. You'll take that for the home opener, I think. For every, sure. every single person in that dugout would be excited about high 58. Yeah, and like I said, I think game time's 430. So, yeah. you know, even if you just stay for the first be a little chilly two-thirds of game it. Ends, yeah. yeah. Hopefully, Tennessee can go out and – have like an offensive explosion and hopefully coming out of an undefeated weekend, you know, and can kind of set the tone. And then, yeah, Wednesday, I believe they play again at home. It's high of 63. So you're getting pretty good weather for your opening homestand. I'm excited. Sam, I know you're excited too. And I'm glad yeah. Bob's getting out there and going to 
soak in and get the first looks at the Lindsey Nelson renovation. It is going to be cool to have something down the left field line. It looks good. From I mean, like I pass by it when I go to class and everything like that, but they've been working their ass off on it, so it's it looks nice. They got it done. It looks like looks yeah. like they're going to get it or going to get it completely finished in time for next week. For when it started, when when all the construction started, I thought no way this is finished by the time the season starts. So good for them. They kept waiting and waiting and waiting. When are they going to break ground? When are they actually <laughs> going to start doing this? That was my parking spot, though. They've taken my parking spot. It's bad. Yeah, <laughs> I parked there. right by the baseball field, and that construction went down, and now it's now it's brutal for me. For the parking. actual games, you would park there? Oh no, like oh. parking for class. There's yeah. just like a little side street that nobody yeah. ever parks on yeah. for some reason, and that would be my spot. But that's a good spot for basketball parking too. Ah, yeah, time. you could actually park like in the baseball like mm-hmm. fence, and that's that's gone now too. Yeah. Well, we appreciate Kirby for joining us and getting the baseball juices flowing. Hopefully, hopefully by like the second week, I'll quit confusing AJ Russell for Andrew Lindsay. Hopefully, it's got to see him get out there and play. I, I got to find a way to get Flow TV. Hopefully, eventually, I realize those are two different guys, and, and 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 yes, it'll 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 work. It'll happen. Just give me a little give me a little grace. You don't get the same baseball preseason coverage when it comes to the the roster changes as you do in the other sports. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I appreciate him joining us. It was, uh, as I understand it, he's heading off now. To they're doing weights and other stuff, and then they're getting on the road, heading to heading to Texas. So busy run for those guys. Seems kind of crazy to be doing weights the day before a game. I mean, I don't know how the baseball players get down in terms of their workout regiment, but like, like what if they're sore? What if they're sore swinging the bat tomorrow? Maybe not doing heavyweights, maybe just a little flexibility, a little light weights, probably just a little pump. I, I don't know. Probably getting a little stretched. Yeah. Because I got to work out in, and I'm sore. I couldn't go out and swing a bat or pitch. But I imagine Tony's got it figured out better than I do. I'll, I'll give Tony the benefit of the doubt. He He's a winner. <laughs> That's probably why they're D1 athletes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, okay, well, I wasn't going to take it there, Sam. But. Wow. Sam off the top rope Okay, Hour one of the books. We'll kick off hour two with some things you might have missed from the night before. (laughs) We call it about last night. Sam will give you a couple headlines. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. Ever been the coach who realized the team's gear just wasn't up to par? Well, if I'm being honest, that was me. Just a downright irresponsible and plain bad coach. Then SM Athletics changed the game. I want you to picture this. I walk into their store, a coach with a vision. SM Athletics didn't just see a coach. They saw a team's potential. And they delivered custom uniforms so striking. Our team's spirit soared. From cutting-edge apparel to top.